0: This podcast is sponsored by Speakerbox Media, where we hand build podcasts just like this one to create online communities for brands like yours. If you'd like to learn more, head over to speakerboxmedia.com.
1: Probably I was on pace to be making 700, 800,000 because I was good at this. But I did a lot of damage to my nervous system because I was selling something that I felt guilty about. And I self sabotaged and blew the whole thing up. And thank God I did but I can tell you that. Welcome to
0: the B2B Growth Hacks podcast, the show that helps entrepreneurs like you unlock opportunities for growth in business. I'm your host, Sarah Smith, and this is B2B Growth Hacks, a podcast powered by Speakerbox Media. Welcome back to B2B Growth Hacks. My name is Sarah Smith, and I am here talking on our new Resilient series. And I'm so excited because we've got a great guest in the studio for you today. I want to welcome Dan King. Dan, welcome to B2B Growth Hacks. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, thrilled to be here, Sarah. Thank you. So the basic intro to me, I am a recovering lawyer, started life as a corporate lawyer on the Shark Tank TV show, working for one of the sharks, doing some of the deals that you might have seen on the show. And I realized I was really bored doing the legal work. I thought, you know, I'm not compelled by this, but the entrepreneurs as people, their human challenges, their psychological challenges, that compelled me. So I became an entrepreneur, started multiple companies, failed at one, sold another, and now I'm a co founder of a company called Fireside Strategic, which is all about the overlap between business strategy and human strategy.
0: Got it. I love that, and I think that that's most of the position um, as entrepreneurs we find ourselves in. We have our failures. We have a few little successes along the way before mm-hmm. we actually get to the point of where we want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of want to jump right in and start with just talking about business growth. This is something you talk on day yeah. in and day out with top C suites. So tell me a little bit about your philosophy on business growth yeah. and and how we can be successful in growing businesses and being resilient and being uh, creating longevity in them. Yeah.
1: So we're thought partners for C-suite leaders, companies up to about a hundred million in, in revenue. And we work with very smart CEOs, almost universally. So these are people that are brilliant in many cases, and they think that they can do it all on their own. And what we find is they very often get attracted by shiny objects, you know, the latest new clubhouse thing to come around. And in the B2B world, there are tried, true, and simple things. They're often not the sexiest. But we have, we're often able to double our clients. Um, and the way that we're able to double their businesses is often by going to some of these tried and true methods that the cleverer the CEO is, the more likely they're to ignore in favor of the <laughs> shinier object. And so as an example, Sarah, referrals... 85% of B2B sales are referrals. 85%. It's huge. Right? And yet almost no B2B company has a solid referral system in place. They actually don't know where the next referrals coming from. They haven't learned how to systematize the acquisition of referrals. And they're probably not even trying to do that. And so that alone can often double a business from three to six million.
0: I love that. I lo- give me an example of what a... a- referral strategy would look like or what does implementation at a basic level look like?
1: Yeah. So you know, one of the, the classic 101 things that we all have to do as business owners in a services business is understand our ideal client avatar. You've heard this a gajillion times probably. But what you haven't heard is, who's your ideal referral partner? What's your referral partner avatar? Who knows your ideal client? Almost no one ever asked that question. When you get clear on that, you can build a relationship with that person and that person you know if you give to them if you support them and you build a mutually collaborative relationship oh my god like you can find people that are going to refer you 5 clients and depending on your business model you know one referral partner who's going to refer you 5 ceo clients in the b2b world sometimes if your average deal size is 200,000 that's a million dollars per referral partner right and so it's ultimately very simple it's actually if you're willing to give pretty simple to build relationships. The tricky thing is understanding that you got to prioritize referrals and you got to understand who is your ideal referral partner.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing about referrals is there's such an exponential nature to them. You almost Mm. can't... Correlate an exact value to a referral because it's the thing that just keeps giving and giving and I love so I love that along the lines of business growth and referral partners, what is the most authentic way to build a relationship with a referral partner, I think sometimes in this digital age, especially up and coming entrepreneurs, up and coming business people. We've lo- we've lost this touch to create authentic connection. So, how, what's your what's your um, take on that, and how do we go about creating authentic connection again in such a digital
1: world? Really, really good question. I, I'm going to give you a really strategic kind of answer, but then I'm going to give you a woo woo answer. Are you ready? <laughs>
0: Got it. I'm ready.
1: <laughs> so, the strategic answer is podcasts and video casts are super powerful for this. We're all storytelling creatures as humans. People love to tell their stories. And in the B2B world, you know, it's very often CEOs that sign checks. Those are the people you really want to meet for most B2B companies. How do you meet them? Well, they're storytellers, just like everyone else. And so inviting them onto a podcast or a video cast is a beautiful way to give to them first. By empowering them to tell their story, you'll get to know them at a human level. And if you can help them, just like anyone else, be seen, be heard, all of us as humans, we've got these deep needs and business often doesn't take care of them. And if you can be that person that can connect with a CEO, that can really see them and help them feel heard and tell their story, it's crazy, crazy powerful. And you can use that as a jumping off point to give to them more. You know, once you know more about them, you know who they want to meet, what they want to learn in the world, what their problems are, give, 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 give. A podcast or a videocast is a powerful way to get to know them to help you understand how you can give. And then without the intention of receiving, if you can truly give to them, beautiful things will come back to you. So that's the strategic answer, but I'm gonna give you a woo-woo answer as well.
0: Yeah, let's hear it.
1: For those of us in the B2B space, we often are pretty heady, right? We use our brains and I know the world has given me, I've been very fortunate, a lot of prestige and money because of my brain. It's a pretty big one, but I can't let it determine my future you know, there's a way that you can connect with people an embodied way. If you um, can sort of shift your consciousness into your body, if you can feel when you're talking to people, if you can actually feel their energy, it may sound a little woo-woo, but you will get to a place where you can connect with them in a much deeper way. Our brains are not great connection devices, but there are other parts of us You know, if we really learn to be embodied to be our authentic selves when we connect with people, we learn to feel into our body, not just our heads. It may sound a little woo-woo, but it serves a very powerful business purpose. It will allow you to authentically connect with anyone you could possibly want to connect with, and that's priceless.
0: Absolutely. I'm, I'm hearing you say something that's really interesting to me. And there's this intersecting of me as a business person, and then me as a human being that I'm hearing you talk about. And so can we dive into that a little bit? Tell me a little bit about how me as a business person and me as a human being intersects within business yeah. and how that's helpful. Yeah.
1: It's a fantastic question. And you know, I'm a huge, huge believer, sort of the, the core belief that our company is run on is that our growth as humans overlaps with our growth as businesses. The two go hand in hand. Businesses are made up of people. So of course, when the human grows, the business grows. Sure. It may seem like a bit of an abstract concept. What does it even mean for a human to grow exactly? So I believe that you know, the universe is set up in such a way that each of the challenges that confront us are there for us specifically. And we're rewarded when we solve them through courageousness, you know, through doing hard things, through being vulnerable with people, mm. through showing up with total authenticity. Beautiful things have always happened to me. I've made the most money in my life. I've had the most success in my life when I have done the courageous hard thing. You can't use your brain to anticipate what's going to happen next. We all do things. We do a certain thing because we think we'll make money. The reality is shit's a bit more complex than it seems, <laughs> and we're not always going to know what thing will lead to what other thing. You can't reason your way through life. But what you can do is honorably, courageously show up and be a better human being. And you know what this looks like in business, and, and maybe to make really, really clear to, to move from the abstract to the concrete here. There are aspects of you that are undermining your business. You are sabotaging your business growth in a kajillion ways. You know, that example that I gave you at the beginning about how entrepreneurs, CEOs so often get into the shiny object. I've seen CEOs make $5 million spending decisions based on ego, based Mm on, I've, I've made very, very expensive mistakes myself, right? Running multiple businesses based on ego, based on what my brain thought was the right thing to do. The non-courageous decision, if you like. Hmm. What I have seen work again and again is: you know, Jung said it brilliantly when he said that what you need is always in the place where you least want to look. Oh, wow. Right? And so for me, you know, I'll give you an example: as a coach, I spent years not hiring my own coach, years avoiding doing the real work. And it always limited my ability to help the CEO clients that I had. I could only go skin deep with them because I wasn't willing to be vulnerable enough. And then I realized after a while, holy shit, I've got to get the best possible support in the world. I've got to get someone to empower me to be vulnerable. And then it's going to be so much easier for me to ask the same of others. If I'm selling something at fifty dollars or $100,000 dollars, right? I'm trying to convince others to spend that much on their growth. I've got to do the same for myself. And once I did that, everything turned around. I learned the lesson that I needed to learn. I grew as a human and I was rewarded for it more than I could have ever imagined.
0: I love that. I mean, that goes right back. Some of these simple things that we hear uh, walk the walk, you know, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. Some of these things are so uh, though they're so simplistic, they're applicable to everything we do. And I think it goes back to simplicity sometimes getting down to the bare bones of who you are as a human. What makes you tick? What value do you have to provide others? What unique problem can you solve as a human being and in turn that leads to money mm-hmm. that leads to mission that leads to purpose because innately your values are poured out into that mm-hmm. and so it's just there's there's just nothing bad that comes from giving yeah. and so i love being that intersection of being able to be a giving generous courageous human being yeah and receive in turn in a business realm. I'd like to go a little bit deeper on the external support that you get from coaching as a CEO or as a business leader or entrepreneur. Let's dive a little into that. Tell me some of the values you have uh, seen from that, some of the experiences that you see and some of the breakthroughs. Why is it imperative that as a leader, you have a coach or a mentor of some
1: sort? You know, it's really hard to see your own shit. It's really, really hard. And until you've had someone who's really good, who's, who can both hug you and challenge you at the same time, who can call you on your shit, but do it with kindness, mm-hmm. do it with that loving intention to truly support you, you know, it's like nothing else. And a, as an example, you know, we, we have a client who I really care deeply for. He's been a client for three years. And he came to us with a business that you know, was probably doing about 400,000. And he had run the business for 10 years and it had been flatlined for about five. And something wasn't quite working. Now, this was a team of about seven people. So he was doing most of the sales himself. You know, he brought us in. And as I, I was able to see, ah, you know what? He's afraid of sales conversation. Now, he sort of at some level knew this. But for someone to reinforce the thing that deep down you know is in the way, that can very often be the trigger to get you to actually change things. And for someone who not only can see that in you, but has worked with others and knows how to shift that, Crazy, crazy powerful. Within a month, he grew about 50% and he has now doubled his business, right? That one shift, that one shift was worth um, double the business. Crazy, crazy powerful, right? So understand that you just can't see the back of your own hair. You can't. And someone who can, someone who is courageous enough to see and challenge you, tell you about it, because let's face it, How often in society, not just in business, do we not get real feedback, right? The only thing that matters in entrepreneurship is truth. Mm. So you are limiting your access to the truth if you don't hire external support. It's why our company does all the time. We spend tens of thousands on it, even as a small company. And the ROI on it in business terms is massive and in human terms, humongous.
0: Absolutely, I I totally believe that and and know that to be true in my own experience. For our younger business owners, entrepreneurs, strategic development peeps who are in yeah. corporations now, yeah. how do you go about? What are some common things they should be looking for in mm. a mentor and in making this very important choice for themselves, yeah. both as a human and business leader?
1: So I'm gonna I'm gonna answer a slightly different question first, then I'll answer that question. Sounds great. Just because I think it's really important for the whole audience to know that. The best possible support you can get is broad. So reality is complicated. Why would you get someone who just knows about one domain? So what's unique about us, we call, for us we call coaching thought partnership here at Fireside Strategic, my my company. Thought partnership is interdisciplinary. So we build a world-class team of business strategists, people who understand psychology, healers, doctors, uh, meditation masters. We build a world-class unique custom team for all of our clients. So we get to know them super deeply. We work with a small number of clients and the support they get is interdisciplinary. If reality is complex, your support system should also be complex. It should reflect truth and reality, right? Cause if you don't get the truth, like all of your decisions should be as based on truth as they possibly can be. And so your external support should be based on that as well. And what I would advise now the younger audience is to understand that, you know, reality is complicated sometimes, and your growth as a human requires access to all kinds of different types of knowledge. And so the biggest piece of advice I would give those younger folks listening who may be thinking about entrepreneurship one day, get super curious, learn the shit out of life, do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, be brave enough to ask questions, be brave enough. I mean, I entrepreneurship in is in in a nutshell to me is Failing over and over again and simply having the courage to get back up. <sighs> Believing in something so deeply that you would do anything to overcome and keep going. It's not that I have this infinite amount of energy or it's that I have a zest for life and mm. for the mission. And so I think when you can make that human connection to what you're selling, aka what I'm selling is me. What I'm selling is that deep. I'm selling the the mission, the values, the core essence of life in what I'm doing, then there is no, there is no wrong way to go about. It's it's all up, even if you're stumbling through it, trying to figure out. And having a partner in that, having a mentor that will help you, um, I mean, is invaluable. It's been invaluable for me and for my company. And I love this intersection that you have. I will say, in business, though, one of the things that is just so off-putting for me sometimes is in the sales realm and that's the realm that i work in in my business and i'm a big believer in authentic communication and authentic connection i never go into a conversation anticipating that it will be a sell for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm looking first for connection, but I, I I feel as if there's this reward for these edgy, you know, pushy salespeople and that sometimes you can fall to the wayside if you are trying to come in authentically. Um, so I, I feel like it's almost like a quantity versus quality game. And I feel myself constantly pushing back in this realm because for me, the value is, is always, it's always based on humans. We're humans first, and I like to honor that in my exchanges. So, yeah. what is your? Tell me a little bit about your thoughts in that, um, and how you know you guide people through this 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 realm. Because I know that it exists, and it's sticky for all of us to navigate.
1: It's a wonderful question, and uh, I agree with some of what you said. Disagree with a little bit. Okay. So I am like you, a huge fan of authenticity in sales. Um, I'm picking up on the word pushiness, though. I think that's interesting. You are right that there are some people that are overly aggressive in sales. There's no question that there are people that try to ram something down people's throats. And those people can get results up to a point. Probably there are going to be customers that request refunds. There there are going to be some challenges (laughs) if you take that approach. (laughs) There are ways in which it can work. And if it's an authentic reflection of of who someone truly is, I can see it working up to a point. What I'll say though is that let's not, when we use the word pushiness, let's be a little careful in sales because our language is so powerful. When, if someone is not leveling up, if someone is not challenged sufficiently, they may run away, their fear may win. And part of our obligation as salespeople is to intervene so powerfully in someone else's life that they see ways in which they're undermining themselves. Mm. Ultimately, some of the best work you can do in sales comes not from when someone actually purchases, but from when someone transforms.
0: Mm.
1: A powerful enough conversation can transform someone. Now, we have to be careful when we use language like pushy, it might get us to the point of not intervening strongly enough. Of Mm -hmm. feeling sometimes when we talk about authenticity in sales and not looking for the sale, I agree. If something truly isn't a fit for someone and you deep down know that, don't sell it to them. But on the other hand, don't let other people's fears and their own shit stop them from transformation.
0: Mm, I love that. And I love the correction on the language. I can totally see and understand where, especially in the mentorship and strategic coaching realm, a lot of what you're doing is pushing. It is pushing people into this uncomfortable realm. It's putting a mirror up to them and all of their not so good stuff that they're getting in the way of themselves. So I, I love that. I love that deep dive on the, the language there. So so tell me your philosophy on sales and, and how you uh, advise others to approach sales.
1: You know, my, my mentor, um, one of my mentors says that sales is love. I really like that. I feel that. Um, Maybe the way, the way I might put it is the best sales is a combination of the warmest hug and the biggest kick in the ass simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, <laughs> the truth. And I think, you see, the thing about it is it's an opportunity for someone to transform. That's what a sales conversation is. All of your own stuff will come up. So sales is a psychologically charged arena. It's a, contain- it's a very special container in which you have an opportunity to transform others and yourself, every part of who you are could come up and stop you or serve you and the other person in a sales conversation. So it's one of the most fascinating psychological places in business you can possibly be. I kind of love it for that reason. I'm also terrified of it. (laughs) I've been doing it for a while. I'm pretty damn good at it, I think, but I'm also terrified of it because it has this psychological charge and this unique energy to it. And so to me, the best sales, what, what's my philosophy? I think it's the warmest hug and the biggest kick in the ass simultaneously for yourself and the person that you're serving.
0: Yeah, I lo- I've, I totally have had that experience. I'm um, you know, in podcasting in the media world and selling this to very uh, established organizations and people who feel like they have a great grasp on content and strategy is very difficult. You're mm. always met with the pushback of, I'm not sure if I'm ready to change. That's really what the underlying tone. And so you hit it with in a sales conversation, you're pushing for transformation, transformation of a person, transformation of an organization, and you're trying to help them uh, apply a new or innovative strategy that is scary. It's scary for you going in, but it's all it's scarier for them because it looks different than anything they've ever done. And that is certainly gonna put you in an uncomfortable arena. So this this is where you live. You live in an arena of of kind of uncomfortability for people, maybe sometimes for yourself too. Talk me through some of the biggest challenges you see in your experience with top tier CEOs and companies. What are some of the common things that people are fighting back against and that maybe you're helping with?
1: You know, one of the biggest challenges is and we we work with people that are high IQ. They're very smart, right? And every gift has a curse. And intelligence has, society prizes it in, in many ways, but it has all kinds of curses. And one of them is this belief that you can do it all yourself. Mm-hmm. I see this over and over. And I, I have it too still, right? I fight against it, but it's still there. We all want to be the heroes of our own stories. Mm-hmm. And that can lead us to be persistent, but sometimes it can lead us to be persistent in the wrong direction. I've run companies myself and seen some of our clients run companies where the business model was wrong for like years in a row, and it was out of ego, Mm -hmm. right? And if you're smart, you can convince other people to follow your bad ideas. Mm -hmm. That can be super, super dangerous. And so the biggest thing you know, that we are all about, the reason that our thought partnership works is we're focused on the truth above all else. Even if like, if I can see that we can no longer serve a client, I'll tell them that. I have to be so loyal to the truth, I'm rewarded for it. So it's actually, it gets easier and easier, but I have to courageously step up and advocate the truth all day, every day, and it pisses people off sometimes. (laughs) It's just the way it is. And I am a pretty sensitive soul. And so at the very beginning of my life in business, it was really hard to tell people the truth. I was so worried about offending them. But if you just trust that the truth ultimately, and it always seems so in the short term, but if you trust that the truth ultimately produces the best possible outcome, that's the biggest message I'll tell CEOs. And so the truth can be scary, but you should embrace it nonetheless.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Moving into kind of just, I'd like to talk a little bit on your journey Mm. as an entrepreneur, because I think that so much of of who we are contributes to how we do business, clearly, Mm -hmm. right? So tell me a little bit about uh, your journey and some pivotal moments in which you had to be resilient, and in, w- in which you had to grow, change, pivot. Um, there were a couple things you said in your intro that are obvious, but I, w- I want to d- dive a little deeper in there. Tell me about some of your most transitional and resilient moments in your career thus far.
1: <clears throat> Let me give you three that popped to mind. The first, you know, I, I started as an entrepreneur, to leaving law mm, seven years ago now, and. I had no plan other than I'm going to make a living without a boss. That was my only plan. I was <laughs> like, I want to be free. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I want to be free. And I went through this brief period of throwing mud pies at the wall. I was doing anything I could to make money. I was supporting a friend with some mental health issues. I was, my life was a mess, quite frankly. And I was working for a salesperson. It felt like a bit of a bailout because nothing I was doing was working. And I was hired as a salesperson, uh, sort of on contract for a company that was one of the first to ever build like a Facebook ads funnel. Now there's tons of companies doing it. But in those days, it wasn't really a thing. And that this was an eight figure company and it was growing very, very fast. And they would just send me five leads a day. And I was selling an $8,000 product. I did not in my soul believe that it was worth 8,000, but that's what I was selling. And I was earning a $1,200 commission. And I was on pace as like a 20, what was I? 27 year old or something. Probably I was on pace to be making 700, 800,000 because I was good at this. But I um, did a lot of damage to my nervous system because I was selling something that I felt guilty about. Mm. And I self-sabotaged and blew the whole thing up. And thank God I did. But I can tell you that I did some real damage to myself. If you're empathetic, if you're sensitive, And you don't follow the truth. And in that moment I was not following the truth. I I did, I won't go into all the details, but I I did some real damage to myself. And so know that the truth really matters. You know, that's one of the big lessons I took from that. I have to follow it. And I felt such pain in my body. I woke up one day with just a stomach that was in knots. Mm. And it didn't stop until I got out of that. Yeah. Second story. I took from that, you know. There's, there's painful truth, and then there's opportunistic truth. And by that, I mean a, an opportunity to follow a path that you know is laid out for you. And so the second story was years later, I built a career transition business for lawyers. So I was helping lawyers find work they love. You know, most lawyers do not have that. Most lawyers are pretty miserable, unfortunately. Oh. And so I was running that company. And it was a very good left brain business idea because no one else was really doing it. And there were were a bunch of coaches out there, but no one was really serving this audience. And I started to build a team and I started to see the opportunity to really scale it and plant my flag as the expert in lawyer career transition. But my intuition, which for me shows up as a feeling in my body. You know, if you go deep enough into this world of seeking the truth, you can get signals in your body. It may sound a little woo-woo if you haven't experienced it, but some of the best CEOs I know make decisions on the basis of intuition. So I had an intuition to, to sell this business. As much as the opportunity seemed really good, deep down I knew it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. So I just had this this intuition, sell the business, and boom, within a couple of days, the right buyer appeared. Once I had the really deep knowing that it was right. Very cool. Third moment uh, came... In our business, the business I run now, Fireside, when you know I was selling thought partnership to high-level CEOs and I was selling support at the highest level and I had yet, I think I told you a little bit about this story earlier, I had yet to seek for our company the same level of support. So I was authentically asking others to do something challenging that I was unwilling to do myself. Mm. And our business was struggling for a little while In part as a result, um, we were doing about 15K a month And, you know, I hired someone who's world-class. We're very fortunate that we found her and she still serves us to this day. And within, you know, within, I want to say 25 days, we were up to 75 a month, thousand. And so you want to talk about growth, right? And from there, the possibilities are just endless. And so again, like truth has come up in each of those stories, right? It's, It's really a huge thing for me, courageously following the truth and if we build that muscle, that practice of following the truth, we get better and better at it. And the results, I can authentically say, they snowball.
0: Yeah. I love to hear real, authentic stories about how you navigate really difficult moments. And I totally picked up on truth in every single story that you told. Any moment mm-hmm. that you were being untrue to yourself or to your, your motivations or what you wanted to do in life, you started to fall into pitfalls of different consequence. One of the topics that you mentioned that I mm-hmm. would love to dive a little deeper on is self-sabotage. This didn't get a name for me until later in my 20s when I was stumbling trying to figure out why I wasn't fulfilled build. But in business, it means so much. And the more business leaders I talk to and thought leaders, the more that I hear this come up and I see it come up. So can you dive a little bit deeper on self-sabotage? What is that? How does it manifest in business and in humans? And how how do we learn to spot it?
1: So as humans, we have needs, right? Most of our decisions are made subconsciously. So we're not aware of most of the decisions we make. Some people say ninety percent of our decisions are subconscious. So we have all these needs, and we don't understand exactly how they're being met. Understand that your body, yourself as a human, you're very smart at finding ways to meet your needs. They may not be the healthiest, but you'll you'll find ways to do it, right? So as an example, you know, the, there's a, a client of ours who. who is someone who um, really prioritized connection and relationships. And you know every gift has a, a curse, a shadow side. So that's wonderful in some respects. You know He's someone that really cares about people. But on the other hand, he was paying immense amounts of money to some service providers, mostly on the basis of his personal connection to them that were not serving his business. And so part of our role as truth tellers is to see this, to go really deep to make sure that we're correct before we... Say what we think is the truth, right? We've got to be detectives. You know, we're, we're detectives for every aspect of your business and your humanity, and how they <laughs> flow together. So we had to be. We had to do our due diligence. But once we did, we saw that his need for connection was a form of self sabotage. Mm. His need for connection was leading him down this road of prioritizing connection, which, by the way, he was lacking in some other aspects of his life, right? Which were why it was showing he was using his business to meet that need for connection. And so that's a form of self-sabotage, right? It's subconsciously most of the time, um, I think we're we're usually not conscious of it, meeting a need in a way that is counterproductive to our business and our humanity.
0: What are some key indicators for I am self-sabotaging? Sometimes we have a a person close enough to us that can call us on it. But if I don't have that person in my life, how do I know as an individual I am being counterproductive? to myself even though sometimes like you said it's subconscious at some point I think there's it comes to yeah. a head what are some key indicators for I am self-sabotaging mm, myself
1: you know it's a great question and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up I'm, I'm gonna give a, a kind of maybe this is a bit of a cheap answer first but then I'll give you a, a another one the cheap answer is if you don't have external support if you don't have someone in your life who can call you on this stuff um, you know my, I'm biased I'm I favor a really big team of, of brilliant people to do it because that's what Our business does, so of course I'll say that. But if you don't have external support, if you think you can do do it all on your own, guarantee you you're self-sabotaging in some way. I mean, we all are, right? But you're probably really self-sabotaging if you don't have that external support. So that's number one. Number two is, is there something in your life or your business that you've wanted for a long time and you don't have it? Ask yourself that one question. Something that you've wanted for a very long time that you don't have, and it's been years. And this thing, I'm gonna even put up the heat just a little bit more and say, this is something that you know you have the potential to achieve. If that's the case in your life, then you're probably self-sabotaging. Some part of you is pulling you in another direction because if all of you wanted it, you'd have it by now, right? So there's some part of you, there's an inner tug of war. Some part of you is moving you in another direction, right? So I'll give you an example. Take uh, this client of ours who is struggling with sales, right? He said he wanted to grow his company. But, you know, as someone that didn't love challenging people, as someone that was afraid of sales conversations, his fear was clashing with his need to grow his company. His will was split. He wasn't united in moving in one direction, right? Now, the fear was something we were able to shift, that's a, a type of self sabotage that we're you know we got a lot of expertise in in shifting, but I think uh, if there's something you've really wanted for a long time and you know you have the potential to achieve it and you haven't yet, it's been years. It's probably self sabotage. Mm,
0: there's something avoidant about us, and there's something uh, in speaking about resilience. Our body is wired to to survive, and so sometimes our brain takes over that process, and we lose the human part the soul part that would actually allow us to be resilient that would actually allow us to um, be introspective and get over those mountains or hills that are in the way of where we want to be yes um well dan i love everything we've talked about today and it is so rich we could go on forever (laughs) but i just want to close um with this if you could leave our audience with one thing What is the thing you want them to know, work on, be aware of in Mm. relation to resilience?
1: Mm. Mm. So we live in a world in which we are incentivized to be fragile in many ways. So sometimes our teachers, our parents, everyone around us in America these days is trying to protect us. And it comes from a good place. I don't want to attack that too harshly. It comes from a good place. We wanna build a kind, caring society. But as humans, we have the potential to be anti-fragile. We have the potential to challenge ourselves. And when we can find the intersection of love and challenge, it's a beautiful place to play in. As humans, we're capable of challenging ourselves and each other and loving ourselves and each other. And if we can get to that place of love and challenge and uniting those, we build the anti-fragility that allows us to build a life beyond our wildest dreams.
0: Yes. I oh, I love that. And that's where we end because that is so rich and leaves us with such a great place to grow and think about. Dan, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge today and for gracing us with your presence and mm. your truth. I just can't wait to see how many people mm. challenge themselves in this realm because of this conversation.
1: Oh, Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Your questions have been fantastic and, and such a blessing to be able to connect with you and Ray.
0: Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to know how to get involved and share your story, head over to our website at b2bgrowthhacks.com. Also, while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest conversations happening here on B2B Growth Hacks. This podcast is sponsored by Speakerbox Media, where we hand-build podcasts just like this one to create online communities for brands like yours. If you'd like to learn more, head over to speakerboxmedia.com.